It's not always the big things that change the world. It's the small acts of kindness that happen repeatedly over a lifetime that make the world a better place. So every week we share a story of someone like you who is doing good in the world in their own way. Welcome to Doing Good with Carmen Herbert. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Doing Good. I am your host, Carmen Herbert, and I am so excited to have on the podcast today, Tanisha Williams. Tanisha is a native of St. George, Utah. She says that the red rock runs through her veins. She's a widow and mother of one beautiful daughter and thrives on spending time outside with her little ginger snap. Tanisha graduated from SUU in Family and Nutrition Sciences and owns her own health and wellness business in exercise therapy and spiritual emotional coaching. After losing her husband to a drug overdose, she has felt it's a calling to speak and testify about finding hope and strength in the light of Christ. Her speaking experiences are varied and range from her service in Relief Society and Young Women's to private and group motivational sessions for world-renowned programs and mental, spiritual, and emotional wellness. She loves the gospel more than anything and considers her life experience her life experiences, blessings of polishing and preparation. Oh, I love that. Tanisha, thank you so much for coming on Doing Good. So glad to be here, Carmen. Thank you so much. Okay, so I love that last line of your bio. Don't you love it when people read your bios? I hate it. <laughs> Please don't talk about, or some things are like really old. I had one, they're like, she has two kids and I'm all, uh, times two. Right? You're like, wait a second. You know? Baby. <laughs> yes, but I personally love reading bios because I get to learn more about people and I love what people put in there. Sometimes it's not just some people, it's accomplishment, accomplishment, accolade, accolade, and others it's, oh, this is what I love and my family and my daughter and my little ginger right. snap, but just you kind of get a glimpse into what's important to people and, and what right. they place importance on. And I love that last line. You love the gospel more than anything and consider your life experiences, blessings of polishing and preparation. So tell me about why you added that line to your bio. Well, you know what, in the experiences that I have had and, it, you know, it almost like gets me emotional just starting to talk about it. And I get emotional hearing that bio read just because it's, it's something that's so near and dear to who it's helped me to become and how it's helped me to kind of reframe what life is all about. Yes. But it's And it's almost like, it's not like you'd wish some of those experiences again, if you had like a do-over. Right. Know? Like you'd say, okay, well, let's re let's readjust these things and then have it work out this way so that I don't have to have this loss. Or yes. I don't have to have this heartache. But really and truly, I mean, it's, it's those experiences that if we're in line with Christ, if we're in line with the gospel, those are the only ways we actually come closer to him when we become more dependent upon him when we become more enlightened by his light because he is the light when we're able to do that we can only become more refined and more polished and more perfected in him in him it's it's so true and i've been thinking a lot about this like why trials and hardships are necessary and how it, there's only certain things we can pass through in order to become like him or get to know him. And it's funny that you say that. I've thought about that too. Like, okay, well, what if you didn't have to lose someone? What if you didn't have to have your life work out that way? Would there have been another way? Because I agree, there are some things I look back on, I'm like, I would never want to relive that. But I'm right. so grateful for the woman I am because of it. But what I choose when some people when some people say, "Oh, I wouldn't trade my life for anything," I'm like, I don't know. There's maybe a couple things I would trade. Like, oh, that was horrible. But right. but would I trade? Would I trade the woman I am now? Would I trade the life I have now? And and maybe that's more like, okay, I, I'm so grateful that that pushed me to become. And maybe I would have been able to still be the woman I am without those, and maybe not. And so I'm grateful for the for being able to take something awful and horrible and grow and be polished and refined because of it. And and you've had, I mean, one of the most difficult things, which is losing a loved one. You, you lost your husband to a drug overdose and I'm 100% positive. That's something you're like, Nope, wouldn't want to redo that ever at all. No, <laughs> but so tell me about 
the person you were maybe before a little bit about your husband and your marriage and then what has changed for you since what how do you feel polished and prepared since becoming a widow well and you know what that's a great question because there's so many there's such a beautiful uh a beautiful and messy journey right in the middle of all of that yes that you know kind of go back the, the the funnest thing about my husband and I's coming together is we were childhood friends and I've known him forever and we grew up on the same block we grew up in the same ward he was my brother's best friend oh I used to always tease him that I had a crush on all of my brother's best friends except for him (laughs) (laughs) and he was the one who got me so he had something to really be proud of you know he, he was also a redhead so we were just we're, you know, awesome. People of genders. I have two stepkids that are redheads as well. So we're like the Weasley family on her. No way. Oh my gosh. But um, we, so we, we've known each other since childhood. And I, um, I always, he always had this just charm about him. And, and, and it was just, it was a fun charm. It was a loving charm. You couldn't help but to absolutely just laugh around him and love to be around him. And the person that I have always been, I've always been outgoing. I've always talked too much. I've always had too much to say, but, and, and very independent in who I wanted to be. And so right off the bat, I would have never guessed that we would have gone together very well because we were both really, I always pictured myself with a wallflower because yeah, right. they allow me to be more of who I am. Shine, you know? Yes. <laughs> So, but the beautiful thing about him was that he, we both had these characteristics, but he let, let me shine in that way. And so he struggled with addiction from, oh, he was probably like 17 or 18 when he first started struggling and he went through a lot of trouble. He got married right, right after high school and him and his first wife had two gorgeous children and he was in and out of jail, in and out of rehab, really having a hard time. So given his past, it was, you know, logically you look at the outside and think, well, yeah, no, don't go there, you know. Yeah. But, but he, of course, he was, still, he was still loved by everybody because of, of who he is and his personality. And, and even amongst his struggles. And in 2009, he lost his dad in a, a accident at work and him and his dad were really close and that really just kind of sent him into something that was even darker than where he'd already been and he ended up in jail long story short he got it he ended up in jail and I was up in Salt Lake at the time and um I would drive down to St. George to visit my family and I'd stop and see Red Bull his nickname was Red Bull <laughs> for good reason you don't want to be on the football field and um he you know just checking in everyone was kind of wanting to know how he was doing and he heard he was doing good and and um so we wanted to give him that support and so I visited with him through the glass a few times talked about who I was dating and and just kind of was trying to, to be there to show him support and he seemed to be doing well and one thing one myth I feel like everyone has about being in jail is that okay well they got clean because they couldn't they couldn't get access to what they were before and I have learned that that is not the case and that they're not clean or that they can still have access still there's still access some way form there's still some way that they can get it but when my husband was in there and I felt prompted to tell this story because I don't tell it very often, but in just thinking about meeting with you today, I thought, I, I really want to tell this story because it's such a beautiful story. And my husband, I love the way he told it, but he said, I was in my little jail cell, which was tiny. And he said, I was mad. I was mad at God. I was mad at my mom. I was mad at everybody. Poor me. You know, he's like, I was just in this victim this victim setting. And he said, I got down on my knees and I pled with God, like, help me to know that you're there. Yes. I want to do better. I don't understand. I'm mad. He just poured his whole heart out, you know? And 
as soon as he got done saying his prayer, he said, I looked out into the hall and there was a shelf in the hallway. And on this shelf was a Book of Mormon. And, you know, what are the odds, right? This was in the big Draper prison. And so he said, as soon as a guard came by, I asked the guard to give me the book. And he goes, from that day on, I didn't stop reading. And I still have that book. And it is full of markings and pages. And um, he was amazing at keeping journals. And every page that he wrote in was just filled with the love of God. And he came to Jesus, literally, you know, he came to Jesus. And what I like to tell that story because the next section of when I, the next section of the story, my brother also suffers from the disease of addiction. And um, me, and he's my only sibling, my brother. And so me and my mom and dad and him happened to all be at home at the same time randomly in the in June of 2012. And we thought, hey, let's all go visit Red Bull because he would he had now been moved to just a little jail in Panguitch. And we went and Carmen, I tell you what, it was the weirdest thing. I he came out and we were all talking to him and I did not say a word for like two hours. Two hours. I just stood there and I was like, and he called me out on it at the end. He's like, Red, what's wrong with you? You yeah, yeah. And I was like, I don't know. And I just, because all of a sudden I had just this attraction towards him. And I was no like, way. Yeah. And I was like, where is this coming from? You yes. Know? I was like, no, uh, you know who this is. You know, yes. You, you, you know where he's been. You know his struggles. You know, yes. Making that judgment in my head. And yes. I was just, I went home and I wrote him a letter. And later on, we found out that he went home and wrote me a letter. And the same day, and from that day on for eight months, we wrote each other almost every day because he was just in Penguin, so we could get letters like, I mean, this is, we were going old school, you know? Oh my gosh. I have to know what your mom thought about you writing a sweet little jailbird. (laughs) Letters like, huh? They weren't excited about it. They weren't excited about it. Yeah. So I had a lot of opposition. Um, Yes. But I like to tell that story because now that I look back, it was, it was the light of Christ that was, that was now being able to shine through him. And that you saw. That I saw. And because, you know, all of our discussions, all of our dating, and I'm using my parentheses, you know, was, was through letters and I'd go up and visit him and we'd spend all day together uh, reading scriptures, reading stories, going over talks and our souls fell in love. And so it was just kind of this like phenomenon in a way. And I feel like it was kind of like, it just enlightened my spirit. And it wasn't married in June of 2013, but he relapsed in July of 2013. So I did not have a marriage with the man that I married. And I feel like a lot of the grief that I still go through now is because I feel like I lost my husband, not on the day that he died, but all through his struggle and battle with addiction for our yes. marriage. And for, sorry, three years of marriage? Three years of marriage. I, I was 35 years old. When we got married. The Lord had had a million other things for me to do, apparently, because <laughs> I was against the norm. And, um, you know, and I look back and I'm grateful for it now. I I wasn't then, but so many things have just been able to help me learn my reliance on the Savior. Yes. Those three years of marriage had some great times, but they were dark for me. Yes. And it it was more of like a dream that had been lost. Right. You had seen the potential. Yes. And you knew who he really was. Yes. And then it was like flipped on you. Like, no, that's that's not what I was expecting. Absolutely. And and so I feel like the loss, the the grief that I, I still continue to go through is like the loss of a future that I feel like I will never have. Right. And and I feel a lot of peace in where my husband is now and who he is now. And 
so many confirmations from the spirit. It's incredible how the Lord works even through other people to give us confirmations of how our loved ones are doing on the other side or what they're doing on the other side. I 100% have a testimony of that. And it's funny that sometimes you think, why didn't that come directly to me? Like, why didn't you tell this person? But I think it's, it's such a beautiful way of connecting us all and letting everyone have as many spiritual experiences as possible. Sometimes I feel like if spiritual revelation or inspiration came directly to us all the time from Heavenly Father, so many of us would miss out on the same, on feeling that and being part of a spiritual experience. And I have a, my grandma, my grandpa was anti-Mormon and a Baptist and um, not at all interested in the church. And he respected my grandma and it was her second marriage, her first husband. Um, they were divorced when she had five little girls, my, my mom being one of them. And then she remarried this wonderful man, my grandpa Chuck, but anti did not want anything to do with the church. And before he died, he had kidney failure and my mom went to visit him and she said, I'm going to do your work for you because he had said, I do not want you to do my, I don't want to be baptized. Don't do anything. So she said, I'm just going to ask him. And she said, I'm going to do your work for you. And he just smiled at her. And she said, if you don't say no, I'm going to take your smile as a yes. And he was completely coherent and, right. and he just kept smiling. He couldn't say yes because of pride probably, but, right. and he just kept smiling. And my mom said, okay, she said, check when you die. We're all taking, we're all going to, <laughs> we're, doing this. We're, ta- we're doing your work. And he just smiled and she said, okay. And my grandma was in the room and she said, you saw it. So there's proof. So my grandpa passed away shortly after and we all, my sister and me and a bunch of his grandchildren and my brother-in-law was able to do the work for him. And it was an incredible spiritual experience. And then months later, I was going through a really dark, dark time and my husband was giving me a blessing. And I felt so strongly that my grandpa was there because I didn't know that when men get um, their work done. If they're older, like, like grown men, if they, they receive the priesthood in the temple. And I, so I felt, I said, my grandpa, I was there giving me a blessing with you. I I just felt so strongly. And he never did that in this life because he wasn't a member. I never had a grandpa participate in any baby blessings or, or baptisms or confirmations ever. I never had a grandfather that was, that was there and worthy to hold the priesthood. And so that was the first time that my grandpa was able to do that. And I had a feeling I should tell my grandma. And so, um, a a couple of weeks later I said, grandma, I have, I have something really special to tell you. Brad gave me a blessing the other week and I felt grandpa was there and, and he looked different though. He looked younger. He had red curly hair and, and it was like slicked back and then curled in the back. <laughs> and I explained it like he was dressed in white and, he, and his face, like I'll never forget just, I could just see in my mind's eye, like his concern and love for me. And this is my step grandpa. Like we're not sealed to him in any way. My grandma is not sealed to him yet, but because she has to pass away before because he was still sealed her first husband and all that stuff, everything will work out. But she was so, she was so touched. She hardly said anything. And she said, I need, I need a minute to think about this. And then she called me on the way home and she said, last night I said a prayer to heavenly father. And I said, please help me know that my husband is still alive. Just please help me know there's life after death. Will you show him? Can he please come to me like in angel form? And she said, and then I got really scared that he actually would. And so I said, right. like, wait, never mind. Because she, she lives alone. She said, I actually think that would terror. She said, never mind. I think that would terrify me if all of a sudden he showed up by my bedside, like knowing. She said, I changed my mind. And she said, don't show him to me. And she said, but can you please show me in another way? that he is still living. And then the next day I shared that experience with her. And I think, oh, if he would have come to her or if, or if heavenly father would have just like breathed a little, yes, I would have missed out. She would have missed on this beautiful experience that bonded all of us. So I 100% just add my testimony to that, that he uses other people to tell you that your loved one is still there and aware of you. And I would love 
to hear an experience, Tanisha, of if, if you're willing to share of when that has happened to you with your husband. Oh, yeah, I've had a few and they're so incredible. Um, I had one right at the beginning, it'd been just a few months after he had passed away. And um, I have a good friend who I worked with years ago um, at, an, at, an office, at, at an office job that I had as a receptionist. And she, we, you know, we obviously you remain friends with people, but you lose touch with people. And I hadn't talked to her in years. And she messaged me over Facebook um, a, few, a few months after Rhett died. And she said, oh, Tanisha, I, I, I've had an experience and I, I can't stop thinking about it. And my husband says, I really need to share it with you, but I don't, I don't want it to seem weird or yes right <laughs> she's like but it's it's about your husband and of course I was like please tell me sure uh, yeah yeah and she says okay well I I I have I've always kind of had this gift where I have dreams a lot about loved ones on the other side and she's like it's just kind of been something I've always had and isn't it amazing the gifts that we all have and to be able to acknowledge what those gifts are and Anyway, she said, you know, it was weird because I, you know, I'd learned of your husband's passing and we haven't spoken in a long time, but I, I had a couple of dreams about him and I just wanted to share them with you. And maybe it's something that you need. And she said, I, I dreamt that I was at my house with my kids and there was a knock at my door and I went and answered the door and it was you and your husband. And he was right there next to you. He was holding on to you. And, but you, but it would been like after he had passed. So like in the dream, I knew that he was gone. Oh, and so I, yes, she goes, so I was confused in the dream. Like, how is he here? Because I know that he died. Yes. What is going on? You know? And she said, Tanisha, he, you came in and me and you started talking and, the whole time he was just holding on to you and he was looking at you just with so much love and so much kindness. And he was telling you things, but you like, you weren't looking at him and talking and listening. He was just talking to you. And I couldn't hear what he was saying, but I, I just remember the way that it felt like the way that he was looking at you and the way that he was talking to you in such a loving way. And she's like, and that was it. And then the next time I saw him was you were in a backyard out on a lawn or something. And you were sitting there doing something and he was laying right next to you. And he had his hand, had his head on his arm. And again, it was just that same look of love and concern. And he was telling you things and you weren't looking at him but you were going about doing whatever you were doing, but he was there and he was present with you. And she's like, and that's it. But, but I almost feel like it might've been a way of him telling you that he's, he's here and he loves you. And, you know, I've had quite a few uh, situations where I've had people come to me and say stuff like that. Um, and I've had a few as of recent, just from people who have kind of had this um, guidance from him telling them that he is doing missionary work right now, Oh, and, which is beautiful for me because he that never is. served a mission while he yes. was here. Yes. And he always regretted that. And I think he felt a lot of shame in that. And, you know, I'd always try to encourage him because when he was in jail, he was amazing. Like, and it's so funny because even now, Penguin's Jail is one of the most beautiful, sacred places to me. <laughs> I'm sure it is. But yes. Isn't it funny how a place like that can bring such a strong spirit? Because he, when he, he spent some time in Beaver, in the Beaver Jail and in Penguin, and while he was there, he started, you know, he, he started working with the 12-step recovery program group. And he headed it off. He actually rewrote um, a drug program at both places and he started getting men coming to it. He had, there was another man that helped him there at the, at the jail in Penguich. They started out with about six guys and now they're, and the Penguich jail carries about 90 guys, I think 80 to 90 and they're getting 60 to 70 guys attending that now. That is incredible. 
So just, it's just the fruits of what come from even those moments. And although he lost the battle with his disease, I just, I think of him like as the, the Moroni, you know, he's like just someone who always battled for what was right, even though he didn't have the strength to move through something so big. Yes. And it's just amazing the way that the spirit has. And again, you go back to that polishing, the way that these experiences just give you that polishing that Christ is real. Yes. And it's just, I've never been the same. You know, I've, I've never been the same. And I, I like to think that it's, it's made me someone that's more aware of, of the goodness of God. Yes. And the mercy of the savior. And I just, you know, like I said in my bio, like I just have this like hunger to tell people. Yes. That there is light in darkness and true. Really the darkness is never, the darkness isn't something that's permanent when, when Christ is there. Yes. Um, there's, there's never, we talked about this in, in Sunday school last week where it was just like even if you closed all the doors in a room you shut up all the lights to where you could hardly get a speck of light in there there's still going to be somewhere where light is illuminated or reflected you can't you can't completely chase it it's just not it's not possible because because of christ and and you use him as that noun that big l in light and I've just seen so much of that through so much of my heartache that it, it's just denying it would, would not be right. Right. <laughs> so. I am so grateful for you for sharing such a beautiful story and those sweet experiences with your husband, knowing that he's there with you. And no doubt, I love that, that he's telling you things like just affirming and and loving and I'm here and how sweet that your friend shared that with you and how reassuring to know he's still there and doing missionary work. And it's just, I, I feel the same way about my grandpa and my brother-in-law when he went through the temple for him, he said, I just feel that now he is such a strong elder in Zion and he is preaching to people now. And, and that's with people that have lost children before missionary age or on missions or whose children have decided not to serve or who have passed away. Right. That's what's so beautiful about the gospel is it's eternity. eternity. It's eternity. They have they will have opportunities to repent and be made whole and get better and then serve in their capacity. It's I, I thought of that scripture when you were talking about his experience in, in jail, looking at the Book of Mormon, draw near unto me and I will draw near unto you. And it doesn't say, um, I'll draw near unto you and then you can draw it's we have to make that effort and that effort is so hard sometimes of reaching out to him like i hope you're even there yeah. <laughs> but i'm just as soon as you make that little uh, reach out with your hand and and he's standing at the door but we have to open it we have to make that effort that he he didn't say let me know you're there and then and then when he didn't hear a voice say forget it you yeah. didn't let me know he took an action step of looking at that book of mormon and deciding to read and that's when he felt close to the spirit and you felt connected to him. And, but sometimes reaching out is difficult. So what did you do Tanisha, when he relapsed after you had only been married a, a month to stay positive and focus on the savior for women out there who maybe their husbands have been unfaithful or, or, or addicted to pornography or married someone that they thought this is not who you really are and are struggling with addiction um, of any kind, what did you do to stay positive? I'm sure it would be easy to say, I'm divorcing you. Like, it's, you know, and, and not at all placing blame on his first wife, but, but I'm sure that's a big reason why she said, I can't do it. So what did you do to say, and why did you choose to stay with him? And how did you find hope in that situation? Well, you know, and that's an, that is such an awesome question because, and again, I feel like this is kind of the part of the polishing that I feel like I have been receiving through the, the whole experience is because, unfortunately, so much of that learning has come after the fact. It's come in reflection of, you know, and in retrospect, 
And the, the, the couple of things that I, and I, and I, I actually just had an article published um, in uh, the Latter-day Woman magazine. And it's about, it's about just this, the four, uh, four ways and how to cope with a loved one struggling with addiction. And I was so excited to be able to have that out to people because I, I want I want to be able to help others who have who are in this similar situation and feel like there's no hope because when you're in that situation you feel so dark you feel um, hopeless and lost and I was so full of resentment yes my situation that I it was hard you know and I'll admit it it was hard at times to not let it overwhelm and overcome me. Yes, I had a lot of anger towards my husband. I had a lot of disappointment and, and, you know, and it's hard to admit that you had all those negative feelings, especially when you've only been married for like such a short amount of time. And, you know, because it was like when, when we fell in love, it was just this fairy tale of beautiful things. And I, I, and not that I wasn't aware that there was going to be difficulty and I wasn't, I wasn't blind to that. Um, Right. But I wasn't expecting such heaviness in such a short amount of time. Right. And so after that initial relapse, I was very angry because I was pregnant. And I, we just learned that I was pregnant. And I, I was, he was coming in first detox out of many detoxes. And I, I was, you know, working. Him and I had had a job together and he wasn't able to help me because he was trying to get through this. And and I was left alone with a lot of stuff and I was just mad. I was angry. And, you know, and and that's where and I had a lot. I made a lot of mistakes. First of all, I made a lot of mistakes in the way that I reacted towards him in the way that I carried myself. But. One thing that I did, I never stopped was my scriptures every day. And as simple and a primary event that the answer is, I, I will praise the heavens till forever that that scripture, that daily scripture, even if it's just a few minutes of you reading, because I'll have those days where I just cannot get in tune. You know, it's like yeah. words, but my mind is like 800 different places. And yes. I'm. I'm I'm here, Lord. I'm trying. You know? Yes, yes. But I I it, I want us to never forget that the Lord takes that into account, and He knows our hearts. And I have to remind myself, He knows where I'm where I'm at. He knows what I'm trying to do. Yes. And I feel like God has so much more mercy than we have on ourselves. For sure. And but that's I feel like that's the one that's the one true thing that got me moving through was I was ever diligent in making sure that the the scripture even if it was just reading for a few minutes in the morning was something that i never stopped doing another thing that really helped and i have to actually hand a lot of this to my husband especially towards the last few months before he passed away because those last few months i didn't even want to try anymore and we said family prayers together almost every single night and a lot of the times he wasn't there he wasn't uh, like co- he, you know, coherent and he w- he was under the influence a lot of those times, but he never, he knew how important it was to me. And it was something that we did very diligently was that we prayed together. Even if there was anger, even if there was pain, even if there was resentment, the prayer together was still something that we strived to do. And a lot of times, I again, I, I give credit to him, especially towards those last couple months, because he was always the one saying, "Let's say prayers," and I and I was mad, you know. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, no, I don't want you know. I don't care anymore, you know. But yes. It, it was. It was some of those little things. Now that I look back, that was the only way that I was able to continue to be there, and I feel like having that direct source to the Savior. Those, those same little answers, reading your scriptures, even if it's for a few minutes with distraction, saying your prayers and trying to say your prayers with your spouse or your family, however your family looks, make that a priority because the spirit can't not be there in some way, shape or form. And I feel like I had a lot of angels carrying me. 
um, in reflection, and the, the article I wrote talks about this, and this is huge for me now, and I, I teach this a lot in the places that I teach with my movement healing, is do not let your passions get put on the back burner. And what I mean by that is I love to dance. I was dancing out of the womb. I was, you know, I had, my dad had to make me jump rope when I was in elementary school, just so that I could calm down and go to bed. Like I was just always, I needed it, you know? And so it's, but those three years, my husband was struggling when, when an addict is, or someone that is struggling with addiction. I, I hate to call it addicts anymore because it's, I have so much empathy around the disease. And when you're struggling with a, a form of addiction or any other kind of thing that kind of pulls you into a deceit, your loved ones can do some of those same, the same things that an that a, someone with addiction will. So an, uh, someone who struggling, struggles with addiction will isolate themselves, especially yes. that they love the most. Yes. Um, from those that they're the closest to. And I started doing the same things. I, I was isolating myself from a lot of my family because I was sad. I was disappointed. I, you know, my, I was afraid I'd get a lot of, I told you so's. Uh, right. And because of what we were all aware of before we got yes. it. And because there was this big part of me that just wanted to be trusted that I could be, I could follow, be, be led by the spirit no matter what. Right. And but I forgot those passions. I stopped doing a lot of those things that brought me joy and that brought me confidence. And kind of a story to back that up, if it's okay, Carmen, I, I probably, oh, it'd been six to eight months after my husband had passed and I hadn't listened to a lot of music. It was hard after a loss like that. There's too many emotions connected. And my daughter was at my parents' house and I was at my house by myself and I hadn't danced for a really long time. And something just, I was sweeping the floor and, and I always tell this story to our guests at, at the, the chronic pain center that I work at <clears throat> because we're trying to help them feel hope. And I just had this feeling, turn on some music. And I was so scared to face that because to me, that meant facing the pain that I hate. Yes. Yes. And feeling and, the emotions and yeah. 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 And allowing yourself to connect with that. And I, I thought, okay, oh, I can do this. So I turned on some music and a song came on. It wasn't because my husband and I had a lot of songs that we loved together. This wasn't any of those, but, and, and it's now that I look at it now and the words to the song, it was so fitting, but I danced for the first time in a long time. I had my broom as my partner and I just let loose my kitchen. And it was the most freeing experience to me. And I will never forget the way that I felt. I bawled and I dropped to my knees. I was doing this beautiful lyrical. It probably yeah. was great. <laughs> I hope to have on camera, but it's it was such a beautiful moment for me. And as soon as the song ended, I knew why it was so beautiful. And it was because I knew that for the first time in a long time, I had allowed myself to feel happy. I had allowed myself to feel hope. And I was closer to my husband at that point than I had been in years because he saw me doing something that made me happy. And it was right then that I felt that connection that when we're doing those things that connect us to a, a confident light and spirit, we are doing work on both sides of the veil. Yes. Or, or we're encouraging them by letting them know, hey, I can move forward and I can be happy and I am happy regardless of the pain that is there. And and they are closer to us when we're doing those things. So, so even amidst, like if, if there hasn't been someone and you're in a situation that, you know, you haven't had that loss yet, or you're just feeling in that darkness, connect with those passions, find a way to make that, even if you have to modify, like an exercise, you have to modify something when you're in recovery. Yes. Modify your passions. You know, maybe you used to go out and do things 
every few nights and you'd, you know, go to dance classes or you'd, you'd go to paint classes. And maybe that's not possible now. Yes. Find a way to recreate that at home. Dance in your living room. Turn music on with your kids. Start to paint watercolors at home. I just find something. If you love to go on hikes, but you can't get out that much, explore your yard. Find ways to reconnect yourself with the things that you always did prior to the trauma. Yes. Because it will move you through it. it oh, that is you. so important. And I, I am a... I'm a huge believer in, in doing something and getting outside. It's almost like unsticking yourself. Like yeah. it's, I love that you say movement. It's, it's movement, that, like moving a paintbrush, moving your body, moving your voice, moving your legs. It's like, there is, I believe so strongly such power in movement. Yeah. Music is movement. It's just it, it, it's it, I Satan wants nothing more than for us to stay stuck. And sometimes it's painful to peel yourself off of that. And and you may leave, you know, when you peel off a bandaid or peel off, I, I, when my little brother was little, he stuck a ice cube to his lip and I'm like, I'll get it off. And Oh, can you imagine? <laughs> my mom's like, wait, I'm getting hot water. And I just rip, rip. and half, I mean like his sweet bottom lip took, weeks <laughs> oh I felt oh I bawled and my my I felt so bad my mom felt so oh, bad for me and my brother my brother was crying but but sometimes I feel like this is going to be painful but I have to unstick myself and and whatever you're going through it's it's going to be painful but I'm so glad you shared that about moving yourself through it and whatever it is even just walking like I'm I'm just going to walk today I'm going to get out I'm going to smell the smoky air that's here in Utah <laughs> smell the smoky air but just move and there's something about that action that is healing and I want to know what do you think that is what is it about because this is what you do in in your health practice and and teaching people what do you think it is about moving your body moving your mind moving your voice your spirit what is it about that movement that helps heal and helps you even just like okay boom 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 like reset your mind into i can't i can't it's too hard it's too awful i'm drowning i'm drowning like oh wait a minute okay no take a deep breath i can do it what what is it about movement that helps move us forward. Well, and even just looking at it in like, if we were to look at it in, in strictly like an exercise therapy aspect, um, for what I do, I work with a lot of people with chronic pain who have been stuck in not being able to move, not being able to be mobile. But what happens with that is whether anxiety and depression are like a precursor to that, chronic pain or whether it comes afterwards because of the chronic pain we see both of it it and i love your i love the whole thing about being stuck because that is exactly what happens we become stuck in an uncomfortable position that becomes comfortable right not yes. because it is comfortable but because we're scared of what it's going to feel like to take to rip that band-aid off yes and and i always tell my guests my guess when we're working together in any of my group classes, I say, okay, if you feel uncomfortable, uncomfortable in my class, then I am doing something right. Right. Because that is exactly what moves us to something else. We can't grow if we're not being, and, and the word vulnerable gets such a bad rap because, you know, it's scary to be vulnerable. Vulnerable yes. is scary scary to be vulnerable but on the other the flip side of things if we're vulnerable to something we're open to yes right and granted we want to be open to those things that bring light so when we when we're moving our bodies just in the exercise aspect of it and i always tell my patients here at the, the clinic let's put some juice in the joints let's butter those bones right because our bodies were made to move we were not made to be sedentary we weren't made to just sit we were made to move okay and when we don't move our bodies we get stuck our bones get stunk stuck our bones get just compacted like our spine gets compacted i work with a lot of people that have been in car accidents and they get 
compacted, right? So I do a lot of work to open things up, to open the spine, to open up the shoulders, to bring them down and out. And we need to do that in in our own spiritual, emotional, and mental well-being as well. But for some reason, when you move, it gets everything lubricated, right? It gets everything buttered. It gets that juice moving through all joints of our spiritual self through our emotional self and i have them i do a class um it's called the bridge recovery center i do a class out there where we do movement and we i have them kind of analyze how they're feeling prior to so i'll have them write just a little stick figure of what they what they are right now and i'll have them you know circle different parts of your body that you feel emotional stress and what does that look like to you right now? Is it dark? And I'll give them, you know, crayons. We can get really artsy with it. And and then we do our movement classes where we do walking. We use ribbons. We get to just play like a, like we did when we were kids. And at the end of the class, I've never had one person, even with the most cynical, skeptical people that come in there, and we have quite a few sometimes. And I just, I love them because they're my teachers. And I have never had someone not come out of there saying, wow, I feel free. I have the word free in there every time. I feel freer. I feel happier. Like, and, and, and I'm smiling. Yes. Right? So those kind of things, we can't help but to have light come to us when we're doing something that brings those emotions. And we always want to connect what emotions are present. What yes. Emotions- am I bringing to myself those emotions are fruits right so fruits yes spirit. what if I'm feeling joy I'm smiling if I'm feeling free those are connected to light those are connected to Christ right yes yes the adversary right but, and like you said the adversary loves when we're in this little dark stuck hole yes like, loves feel comfortable in pain mm-hmm Fortunately, so many of us human beings work that way for a long time. We don't even realize it. Yep. So until we move, and I, I, and I'd almost like to use the word faith because faith is a verb, right? Faith yes. Is a word of action. So if we're acting on faith, we're moving. I love that. Yeah. So if we're if we're using faith in our lives, we're moving on something. <gasps> moving a meditation walk listening to the scriptures whether it's reading that one that morning whether it's saying a prayer that's three seconds long my daughter would love that if it was three seconds (laughs) just those little things that show hey i'm acting yes something i'm opening myself up to the light and as uncomfortable as it is oh the blessings are so sweet on the other side it's so true. They are so sweet. And you look back at that stuck person or that stuck time and you're like, oh, I never want to go back. But it is so easy, like you said, to be comfortable in right. being stuck. And 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 it is uncomfortable to start. But I love substituting the word faith for movement. Like I instead move forward, I'm going to faith forward. I'm going to faith my body. I'm going to faith my spirit. I'm going to faith forward. That is such a beautiful way of thinking about it is movement is faith. And you can look back and be like, oh, I'm so glad I was able and it was uncomfortable and it was hard. Maybe it hurt some days and you hated it. But that's the thing is I've never regretted a workout as much as I hate putting (laughs) on the clothes and getting outside. And and that's been such a struggle for me, but I've never regretted it. I've plenty of times I'll all the time regret not doing it, even though it's more comfortable not to, but I've never been like, I should not have worked out. I should not have gone for that run. I should, I'm always like, I'm so grateful. And it, and sometimes it takes, my mom said she is an avid runner and I run with her when she comes into town sometimes and we'll be running and I'll be so grumpy. And she's like, give it 20 minutes, give it 20 minutes. The first 20 minutes are awful. You're getting unstuck. Your joints are still, ah, your hips are popping. Your ankles are rolling. You're feeling it. Your heart hasn't regulated yet. It's like, I hate it. And then she's like, after 20 minutes, you get into a rhythm. Your body sinks into it. You're like, oh, and then afterwards you're like, I feel so much better. So maybe that's something that our listeners could think about is 
give it 20 minutes, maybe 20 minutes of reading your scriptures, 20 minutes of moving your body, 20 minutes of talking to that person you don't want to. It might be uncomfortable and painful and awful at first, but after just a short amount of time, you'll be like, oh, I'm so glad I moved my my way through that. I'm so glad I faith my way through that. So Tanisha, I'm I'm so grateful that you've taken so much time today to talk to us for all the good you are doing. And if people want to learn more about what you do and where to go to hear more from you or to maybe come to your clinic and and even take a class or or figure out how to help their, you know, heal whatever it is, tell us a little bit about where they can go um to hear more from you and and maybe take a class and start faithing their way forward their trials. Um you know what yeah a couple of different places I I am a, a what is it, a Jane of all trades I guess you could say a Jane of all trades. <laughs> but I I I have a website www.tanishawilliams.com and on there it'll just kind of show you my hope in Christ Instagram that gets is obviously a way that you can connect with me. Um, I have a, a movement and yoga uh, healing uh, page on YouTube, and that's there's a connection through that site to get there as well. So I send a lot of people looking for, you know, chronic pain therapy, things like that, that you can go through there. And um, I do individual sessions as well. So that website is great. My Instagram is great. You go to the Hope in Christ, Tanisha underscore Williams underscore underscore Hope in Christ. Okay. Um, and, you know, th- those two things are wonderful ways to connect with me. And we have to customize a lot of things, but we work with it. That's so awesome. Okay. So, um, yes, Tanisha Williams, one more time, dot com. Tanisha Williams dot com. Uh-huh. Perfect. Okay. So people can connect with you there. They can, I love your, the hope in Christ Instagram that you have. And you do this little thing on there. It's called let's build faith in four minutes. And everyone has four minutes in their day. Like yeah. anyone can, ha- can take four <laughs> minutes to build your faith. And, and if 20 minutes seems too much, right. Start with four, four minute faith exercises that you post frequently on there. And I watched some of those and I love them about just moving your faith, just teeny tiny little steps forward. I, I feel like I have so many more questions for you. We might need to do a part two sometime of, you know, life since then and, and what you've done since then. And you posted a picture of hiking with your cute dogs and getting outside and, and things that you do to, to faith your way forward. So thank you so much for all of your beautiful insights and for all the good you are doing. Thanks for listening to this episode of Doing Good with Carmen Herbert, available exclusively inside Our Turtle House. At Our Turtle House, there's something for the whole family, from full-leg talks that you can't get anywhere else from some of your favorite speakers, to fun family home evening lesson plans that follow the Come Follow Me curriculum. There's even short daily devotionals made specifically for your teens. Plus, you can get two months free when you sign up for an annual plan. Just go to OurTurtleHouse.com to get started. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you back here for another episode of Doing Good next week.